2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Herbie's Cooking Corner for March 1st. Wow, we are springing right along here, folks. Can you believe it? I most certainly cannot. Today, I am going to do something a little bit different. Normally, it's all about me and how I cook things, but every once in a while, we give the reins to somebody else. Now, he will not be cooking with us, actually, but I did a very uh, good interview with Carl, who happens to be the brother of Tori, and he is an amazing cook. I think you're going to be super impressed when you hear this interview, and... uh, You'll even hear me mention that he should be doing his own cooking show on here, guys. But um, He really is an amazing cook. I've even tasted his food, so I can verify that. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That's probably the one nice thing that uh, you'll hear a sibling say to about uh, another one. That was Tori, by the way, who uh, now uh, has, is a regular contributor to the show and now has Tori's tips. Welcome, Tori. Thanks, Herbie. And she's also now an amazing ACB host as well, so you will definitely catch her around the community. Um, I realize it's Fat Tuesday around here, guys. And um, And St. David's Day here. Yep, and so happy Fat Tuesday or happy St. David's Day if you celebrate either of those. And um, I feel bad after this morning's question. I should be cooking something Cajun, but that's okay. So... Like I said, Carl is an amazing cook, and we're going to hear from him. So because there's a lot to take in, I've decided that I'm going to pause the interview after each topic and give you all a chance to, uh, A, take it all in, B, give Tori an opportunity if she wants to include anything, and I may include one or two things as well. And if you have any questions, we'll get those to you as well. Now, Carl, like I said, cannot be with us live. So what I'm going to do is for people that have questions, if we cannot answer them on the call, I'm going to write them down and send them off to him. And we may arrange for a second interview and we may even do it live if um, you all like him. But that if we do that, that'll be a different time as uh, he has uh, scheduled conflicts. So... To participate, you will be able to raise your hand and all that stuff. And I'm going to turn things over to our wonderful host, Belinda, who's going to let you all know how you can participate. All right. Good morning, everyone. So if you want to participate and ask a question when it's that time, first of all, if you are coming in on a computer or 
phone or smartphone device, you want to get the got it button because this call is being recorded. And make sure you get that, uh, press that button so that you can participate. So if you are on a PC and you want to raise your hand, it's Alt-Y. To mute and unmute is Alt-A. If you are joining us on the Mac, it, to raise your hand is Option-Y. And to mute and unmute is Command-Shift-A. If you're joining us from the smartphone app, Join uh, to raise your hand. You're going to locate the more button at the bottom right of your screen. Double tap that and find the raise hand option. And then you will, to mute and unmute, you'll find the mute button at the bottom left corner of your screen. To, if you're joining us on a landline device or a phone with a physical keypad, to raise your hand, star nine. To mute and unmute, star six. And I'll turn it back to you, Herbie. Thank you there, Belinda. All right, guys. So if I can just be a little bit nostalgic here for just a moment, I thought I'd uh, give us a little reminder of how we actually got introduced to Carl first before we get to the interview. For those of you who are wondering, why did we pick on this Carl's guy, Carl guy? So I'm going to take you all back to a call that we did in December, where I did a call devoted to breakfast food. And uh, as it was, Eva had asked a question about sunny side up eggs, and that resulted in this. Tori, welcome. Hello. I just wanted to um, say in response to Eva's question that, yes, it definitely is possible. My brother um, makes really great um, sunny side up eggs, and he's completely blind. I personally have not done it, and I'm not too sure how he does it, but he does. So it's definitely possible once you get a hang of it. I don't know if this would be possible, but if uh, your brother would like to come on one of my calls sometimes, even just sometimes, even just for a few minutes to talk about his technique, you know, I'd be uh, more than happy to work with you on arranging that. And indeed, we did arrange that. Uh, how prophetic! No. So, without further ado, let us hear part one of the interview. Today, we are here with Carl, and you probably don't know who Carl is, but he is the brother of valued ACB contributor Tori, who you hear a lot on my cooking calls. She also hosts Free to Be Me with Patty on Fridays, and you hear her a lot on the morning calls as well. And she mentioned back when we were talking about breakfast-related foods how uh, her brother is a wonderful cook and has a lot of great uh, tips and tricks. And Carl, we uh, will hope to be talking about your sunny side eggs as well, because uh, that's how your name came up. So uh, first of all, Carl, nice to uh, have you on the show today. Yeah, hi there. Nice to, nice to be here. Thank you. So if you want to start just by telling us uh, some things about yourself. Okay, I'm totally blind and I have been since... I was really small, so it's kind of all, all I remember. So essentially, since since birth, really, I went to some specialist sort of boarding schools for the blind, kind of for up until the age of about eleven ish, and then I went to uh, sort of mainstream sort of ordinary schools. Uh, I think that's kind of important because of some of the sort of the skills that I've sort of learned. And um, yeah, I've kind of lived uh, sort of independently, really, sort of for since age of 16, I suppose, for about 20, 
20, 25 years now. And that's, um, yeah, so lots of experience really of kind of looking after a house, really cooking and cleaning and, and so forth. I work as a, an advice worker at the moment, giving advice to students, but also to people with disabilities in the past and as a, a caller and a telephone befriender. And I have just recently started uh, studying a part-time master's degree in, in history, which I said I'd always come back to when I finally got around to doing that. So that's me. All right. Well, that is totally cool. I'm actually a history major myself. Uh, that That is totally cool. So, uh, but that's good that history is important. So let's talk about your cooking history. So when did you first get uh, exposed to uh, how to cook independently? I'm assuming at your uh, school, uh, the, the, the specialist schools? Yeah, absolutely. I. It's a strange thing. Different people, obviously, people have such different experiences and different memories of being at school. And whatever I thought of my schools themselves, really, I do feel like I was schooled in the right way. So early schooling, I uh, being at a specialist school, whilst that might not have been great for socialising and social skills, it was really good for being taught from quite a young age, kind of ordinary living skills by specialists who can sort of say, look, as a blind person, there's no reason you can't do these things. There are ways that you can do them. Um, so that was a great start, really. Then for sort of high school, I guess, I did some kind of cookery at school. And also I cooked, um, Tori may have mentioned, a grandmother who was very keen, very patient in teaching us how to do terrible things to potatoes while we learned how to peel them. As I said, I sort of left home fairly young, really. So I kind of was then putting all that into into practice, really, kind of independently from, from there, really. And now I cook all sorts yep so if you haven't gathered yeah the school does uh they works a little differently in england than what we're used to over here and uh, 16 is kind of our equivalent of 18 you're not fully an adult but uh, you kind of are expected to be more like one so yeah. um kind of young and kind of not so um so you mentioned doing terrible things to potatoes i mean <laughs> one of the one of the everybody knows that uh one of the good things you can do to potatoes of course is making chips with them you know for fish and chips mm, but uh, absolutely we'll talk about it so what kind of terrible things did you do to put those poor well, potatoes back then so these poor potatoes mostly mostly my memories of peeling potatoes my my grandmother kind of had cooked and cleaned all her life and has sort of been a like a, a cook and a sort of a domestic servant sort of throughout most, you know, her, in her youth. And so she could peel potatoes very quickly, very easily. But what I really remember is kind of about the age of 10 or 11, really me and my sister sort of being basically given our very own potato to peel and just hacking away at this potato, this poor potato. And there was, you know, just learning really how to peel the potato, not being afraid, I guess, to Often we overpeeled it because we just didn't really know what we were doing. But we had that place to learn, really. It was about the opportunity to learn, to mess it up. Nan was doing the actual peeling of the potatoes, so everyone got what they needed for dinner. But it was that making cooking okay, making cooking acceptable, and starting with those boring, basic things, peeling potatoes, which can be a bit of a mission, really. Everyone, some people prefer using like proper peelers. Some people prefer to use knives. Some people don't bother and because obviously, you know, you can have fries and wedges with skin on or you can bake them in their skins. So you don't have to. But just even starting from that, really, just thinking about how you're preparing your food, I think is a really key thing cooking and confidence definitely and you know i've got to mention that i think it's totally awesome that you had a supportive family member who was willing to be patient like that i think a lot of people 
you know, it can be a bit of a challenge because, um, you know, very people are picky about how things are done in their kitchen or whatever. And uh, so I think that is totally awesome that your grandma was helpful for like that. Um, and yeah, learn, just taking a potato and learning how to peel it. Um, I have seen those peelers. I'm one of those that just leaves the skin on. And so, you know, we just mm. go straight to the cutting or whatever, um, the baking yeah, I, I normally use a knife i must admit but but i don't i don't recommend that to start with i think yeah definitely okay so yeah you you definitely uh, got forced out to where you learn had to learn how to cook so now let's talk about the type of things that you like to cook okay so before we go on with uh, the next that part um does anybody first of all tori did you have any additional things you'd like to mention um, I wanted to mention that the grandmother that he's talking about um, was very encouraging in a lot of ways. I've mentioned her to those who have been on the crafting call. They'll remember me mentioning her because I inherited her crafting supplies. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. Um, otherwise, I'd get her on the call because she could definitely give you some tips. But luckily for me and Carl, um, in her last few years, she took the time to type up a lot of her recipes and tips. So we actually have digital copies of those. Oh, that is totally awesome. Now, the um, so was that a chocolate sponge cake recipe you gave me one of those? or um... It is, yes. All right, because that's what we're going to be making in a couple of weeks. And... Um, so if anybody has any questions or comments before we go on, now's a good time to raise your hand. As I mentioned in the interview, like I said, peeling potatoes is not something I like to do. I think they taste better with the skin on anyway, but I did do it. I did find it easier with a peeler, and um, it is a little bit of a hard work. That's maybe one reason I don't like to do it. But um, <laughs> Definitely hard work and definitely easier with a peeler than a knife. But yes. I can do it with both. And it also helps to really wash the potato first, of course. I mean, you want to do that regardless, but it makes the peel a little bit softer and a little bit easier to get off of the potato. All right, Belinda, do we have any questions? So far, we do not. All right, guys. Well, then I'm going to take us back to the interview. I like to cook. Oh, all sorts of things. I, I, I think there's the right food for the right weather. I think sometimes that can be a thing. You know, if, you, if you're working and you've had a busy day at work and you come back and you might not feel like anything particularly exciting and therefore it's okay to just put a pizza in the oven or a sort of, you know, or some fries and something like that. But um, what I enjoy cooking, I cook quite a lot of pasta so that might be sort of like lasagna or maybe sort of bolognese. The other day I made a chicken and bacon, kind of Cajun chicken bacon pasta with a homemade cheese sauce. That was particularly tasty. Baking, I suppose, cakes, of course, and pies and pastries, although I'm fairly basic with some of those. Rice, I had a, made a stir fry the other day. And then lots of sort of hearty things, soups and stews and things like that. Okay, so yeah, you, you, you definitely like to cook a lot of um, uh, soups and stews. So, um, you know, one of the trickiest things I find is cooking rice. You know, you mentioned stir fries. So mm -hmm. let, let's start about what, what how do you like to uh, do your stir fries? Yeah, okay. So I think that one of the most important things with cooking is to be prepared and to take your time. Those are the two rules for cooking, in my opinion, as a blind 
cook. So be prepared. The thing with stir fries, of course, is that you need to, or ideally, it's about frying things fairly quickly. So everything needs to kind of be ready to go in about the same time. So if we put one ingredient in and then you have to take time to chop up the next one, then of course, then the first one will be over, will overcook. So my main tip with any kind of cooking is to be prepared. It's not a problem to cut everything up in advance and put it on little plates or in dishes, you know, weighed out and ready. So then it's all ready to go in when, when you are. So then you're not rushing and you're not fretting. With rice, because obviously that was, that was the question that you asked about rice, I would put the rice into a cold pan first, not with water in it. So I would have my saucepan that I was going to put the rice in. I would put the rice in there so that I know how much rice I'm putting in. I can then feel safely how much rice I've put in. I would normally boil the rice sort of separately, I suppose, to, to the stir fry and maybe add it in later with sort of a paella or a sort of Spanish dish like that. But then put the, um, then I would put the pan on the, on the hob. And then I, I, I must admit, I normally boil the, the kettle to make the water hot rather than putting cold water into the pan and then heating that up on the hob because that could take a bit longer. Actually, it's probably safer to do that. It's safer to put cold water into the pot with, you, you know, with your rice, once you, you know, and then make sure that you've dabbed around the sides of the pot to make sure that they're dry. Put that on the hob and heat that up. That saves carrying hot water about, pouring hot water. That's probably safer. And then bring the rice to, to the boil with a little bit of salt to stop it from clumping. I then, there are two ways to cook rice, aren't there? Because you can either put a specific amount of rice to water and then boil that until most of the water's evaporated. The trouble with that is you've got to be quite precise. So what I recommend is actually cooking rice with quite a lot of water in a bit more water than you actually need so that the rice doesn't stick because um, it can be hard to monitor that, hard to keep track of that. When it comes to dishing up rice, I normally would use like a sieve to strain the rice because then that kind of gets rid of that sort of, you know, I would put that in the sink or maybe over a large bowl to make sure it's stable and safe because that's an important thing. And then I would bring the pan over and pour that in, make sure that you stand well back from that, you know, and take your time, make sure that you position, you know, the pan in the right place sort of to pour it. Don't rush. Don't tip it quickly because there's more hot water will splash. So yeah, that's a long and involved discussion of rice. The stir fry itself, obviously you're meant to heat the oil first so that it kind of, you know, sizzles nicely when it goes in. Again, hot oil is something that you really do need to be careful of. So when you're putting ingredients in, put them in small amounts. Don't tip big amounts in so it splashes oil. And um, start fairly close to the, pan, to, the, to the pan. Don't drop them from a height so that you're sort of splashing oil either. And then, you know, another rule really is one hand to the pan and one hand to the spatula or whatever you're stirring it with. Keep hold of the pan handle so that you can keep it in the right place. Keep it on the heat so that you don't knock it and move it over. And then use the spatula or whatever fish slice that you're using to stir the frying food around. I often find a trick is to sort of work inwards. So if you're sort of moving food like a stir fry around, start from the edges and sort of like sort of push it inwards, if you see what I mean, as you're moving it, rather than sort of pushing it to the side so that you're not sort of basically pushing it over the edges. Um, that's often uh, a way. And then if you need to sort of flatten it back down again, if you've made a bit of a mound in the middle and you need to sort of spread it out again, you can use spatula to do that. But yeah, that was the 
particularly long and complicated thoughts on stir fries, really. Well, I must admit, I don't find it long and complicated. I find it extraordinarily detailed, which I think is a very important aspect of cooking because you need to know what you are doing. And, you know, by the way, folks, I will mention this is being recorded, so don't expect to take this all on at once. We'll make sure we get you archives and all that so you can kind of go back and listen to it in smaller chunks if you want. So I'd say uh, detailed is really good. One of the things that I know like a lot of people struggle with is uh, stovetop cooking, frying, and it probably wouldn't surprise me if, you know, some people might be a little bit inwardly unsure if they can do that type of thing. What helped you gain confidence in cooking on a stovetop? Um, so the type of stovetop that you're using can be really important. I haven't much experience of cooking on a gas stovetop, and I don't think that's a good idea because if something boils over, it can put the burners out. They're also terrible to clean as well. And if you make a mess, which you probably will, because anyone makes a mess when they're cooking, and I must, and as a blind person, you will probably make more mess. But that's yep. part of the fun. Not when so, you have to yeah. clean it up so much. But. No, well, no, that's true. After, after, yeah, afterwards it stops being fun. But you know, not yeah. also not not being afraid. Not don't be embarrassed about it. These things happen. But yeah, so the type of stovetop. There are new types of stovetop now that are kind of basically flush, um, kind of like induction hobs and 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 those sorts of things, um, which are not really accessible because you don't have. The edges of the of the of the rings to to guide you kind of. I have a, a ceramic hob, which is an electric hob. Each of the rings are sort of ceramic plates, but they're separate. They're sort of raised slightly from the cook at the top of the of the stove itself. Um, you can then put the pan on that when it's cold and before you turn it on, so that you can position it properly. And that will kind of help you. It is likely to sort of move around slightly. So you might want to start thinking, you know, you might need to just be aware of that, particularly with something shouldn't be too bad. If you're putting like a pan of spaghetti or rice on the hob or it's it's only if you're going to need to stir it or, you know, cook, you know, or move it often that it might sort of move a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, start when it's cold. That's okay. That's a, an, an important message. And yeah, make sure you have the right kind of hob, really. That um, and, and make sure that the pans that you put on them and that the rings that you're putting them on are dry. Because otherwise, like if it sort of sizzles with kind of water boiling over or something like that, that can actually feel really intimidating. It's not that bad. It's not encouraged. You shouldn't really let it happen. But if it happens by accident, then it happens by accident. It happens to all, every cook. So if you've made sure that everything is clean and dry and work up to it as well, I think, you know, it is not a problem to have to try things out slowly. It is not a problem to just maybe eat a, one, a can of soup in a large pan. Don't overfill your pans. That's a really important thing. If you need to use a bigger saucepan, then use a bigger saucepan because that will stop you from spilling it. That's not a problem. It's not a problem to have to use techniques to have to be safe you know, and to have to sort of, you know, think about the way that you're doing things. The other thing, of course, is to only do it if you need to. It's also not a problem to steam rice in the microwave or to heat up soup in the microwave. Uh, I mean, I mean, if, if I can sort of take a bit of a, a sort of a digression, really, there was a big thing when microwaves were popular and, and new, like they were, they were kind of the answer to blind cooking. Ah, oh, they can just put everything in a microwave. I had a microwave cookbook that told you how to microwave a sandwich. 
Like, that's not fun. To- like, toasted salad. <laughs> but they do have a use. They do have a purpose. And if, if they're a way of cooking things better and safely or just gaining in confidence, then use them. Right tool for the right job. Yes, indeed. And I can definitely relate to a lot of the things that you talked about. And one of the things I will add in is, you know, when things do happen, and they do, I've even had a kitchen fire once, the key is not to panic, just to know, you know, just try to, you you sometimes have to think under pressure, but Mm. it can definitely be a little bit intimidating if something spills and you see, like, I have light perception, so I can see that to, you know, I can see kind of like the burning, of the stove, if that makes sense. And yeah, it can be a little, and you immediately want to step back and you're like, okay, I hope uh, no fire is going to happen, but you just have to keep uh, going at it and you can always turn the burner down to a little bit if it's, you know, too high or whatever. Yeah, heat, heat things up slowly. That's my advice as well. Okay, don't turn the burner, like don't start the burners at full heat because like on from a cold pan or whatever, because it's just not going to help. So heat things up more slowly if you need to. Take your time. You know, it's it's much easier sort of to bring stuff up to the boil, I guess, in a way that... So, yeah, take your time. Don't sort of put things too high. It's the same when you're frying things, really. You do want the oil to be nice and hot, but if the oil is essentially bubbling and spitting everywhere, then that just feels dangerous and what well, is dangerous. So put it for the right heat. And let's stop right here for a moment. And uh, first of all, Tori, did you have anything you'd like to add? Not this time. I think you guys covered it this time. All right. Um, I will mention, first of all, if you have any questions, now's a good time to uh, raise your hand. Um, One thing I will mention also, so a couple of things I forgot to mention. So first of all, a quick translation guide. Um, when he was referring to the hob, uh, he's referring to the burner. That's what we would uh, call the burner. So I thought I'd mention that. Also, when it comes to induction cooking, which is a little less frightening than uh, stovetop cooking, in my opinion, because things don't seem to splatter as much, um, there are new wave burners that you can get that are separate units. Um, I guess burner isn't the exact... uh, I don't know if this is correct uh, terminology or not, and... But they come with special pans, and you just, I have one that you plug it in, you put the pan on the induction burner, and uh, you can set the temperature, and it cooks a lot quicker too. But, um, and then there are also electric skillets, which are okay. I must admit, I like the new wave a lot better. There's also the option of a slow cooker, which you can actually use. I have used it to cook vegetables in. Yep. And uh, no, we didn't talk about slow cookers, crock pots, um, anything like that. Um, so, but uh, yeah, you, there are some, definitely some alternatives. All right. Are there any uh, raised hands? Yes, there are. Um, we have Janine. Welcome, Janine. Hey, good morning. <clears throat> I'm, this is a very cool interview. I really love the accents. Um, you know, I was curious. I was listening, and he started talking about boiling water and putting it in the pot for rice cooking. Have you done that, Herbie? Or maybe you can ask him to go in depth about that. Like he started talking about it, and then he changed gears. So I really would like to know how he does that. There's also rice cookers as well that make it really easy that you can just put the rice and the water in and just walk away. And it cooks 
So anyway, rice cooking, you're right, can be tricky and scary for those who don't know how to do it. But this is really educational. So I think it's really great. So I have actually done the thing he started to talk about. Oh, yeah. So go oh, ahead, good, Tori. Tori. Good. So, so uh, go, go, ahead and, uh, go ahead and explain. And we've got extra so, time today. So by the way, guys. So anyway, go ahead. So, so what you do, basically, you fill your kettle as if you were going to make yourself a cup of tea kind of thing. Um, and then you have that boil and then you take the kettle of freshly boiled water and you pour that in. But you have to then, when you're doing it that way, and this is why he switched gears, when you do it that way, you've got to be careful of the steam and it's harder to see the level you're pouring to um, because obviously you can't just use your hand to check because it's scalding hot water. Uh So that's essentially how it works, but it's safer to do it with cold water, which is why he would have shifted gears. Because for safety's sake, it's better, especially if you're new to cooking, to do it with cold water so you can check the level and stuff. But if you feel confident that you know roughly how much to put in, or if you are able to figure out how much water you want in the first place and just put that amount in your kettle so you know when the kettle's empty, um, that's the amount of water you need, then you could boil your kettle, take that over, pour that in. And what it essentially does is speed up your rice cooking time because the water doesn't have to have time to heat up. Do you put the lid on it and let it sit at the same time? And also you could use a Pyrex, excuse me, you could uh, use a Pyrex measuring cup, you know, for the liquid. So you could pre-measure the water in that. And Yeah, if you did that, you could pre-measure the water that way, yeah. But so do you put a lid on and and let it sit for a certain amount of time or just leave the top off? No, the you then water. you would then continue it as if you were as you would normally cook rice. It's just that because you don't have to wait for the water to heat up, it boils quicker, oh, so it okay. speeds up the cooking time. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much, Tori, and thanks, Herbie, for this informative call. You're welcome. And um, I have not tried that method. I must admit, I don't know if I would. Is as long as I have been cooking, dealing with hot water on top of uh, more hot water, then that, that might put me in hot water. So, I personally um, prefer start doing the cold me- water method, to be honest. Yeah. And I, 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 I gather that uh, Carl's more enthusiastic about cooking stir fries than just a mere boiling of rice. So, because, uh, uh, you know, he was, uh, you, you can just sometimes tell these things. All right. Um. <laughs> So uh, thank you, Janine. Before we get back to the interview, if there's any more questions. Don't have any raised hands. All right, then let's get back into it. All right, so let's get to what made you famous. Um, (laughs) Sunny side up eggs. Let's hear about that, because I I understand you're the master at them. Well, so uh, thank you very much. It's nice to be famous, internationally famous for my fried eggs. Um, um, The thing with frying eggs particularly, but most fried food actually, is that the oil should be hot first. And my advice about putting things onto the pan, on, you know, on cold, put the oil in the pan when it's off of the hob or off of the stove top when the pan is cold and then put it on and like heat the oil first. When the oil is hot, then you crack the egg uh, into it and it should make that really nice sort of 
sizzling sound, you know, like when you put a steak on it or something like that. Should make a nice sort of sizzling sound. I think the correct technique, I think the, the proper technique for a sunny side egg is to sort of almost flick the oil over the top of it. So you leave the egg in the pan and you sort of almost disturb the oil so that you're sort of flicking it over the top of the egg so that the oil is heating the top of the egg without you turning it. Now, don't do that because flicking hot oil is a really silly thing, especially when you can't see what you're doing. I don't do that. I'll be honest with you. What I normally find is that the egg cooks through okay. If the oil is hot, then, you know, then the, then the egg should sort of cook through. Two pieces of advice are one is give it a couple of minutes to let the white set because you possibly want to like sort of ease the, the the spatula or the slice or whatever you're using to sort of handle your eggs. Just, you know, you'll want to sort of ease that under it so it doesn't stick perhaps so that the egg doesn't stick. If you do that too soon, then the, the white isn't set and the egg will just fall apart and then you'll essentially have a, be making an omelet really. So give it a couple of minutes for that to set so that the base of the egg then is quite, um, is a bit sort of firmer. And then you can essentially do the same as I've said about, you know, like I think like the sighted technique is to sort of like coax the oil over the egg. But you can essentially do that by sort of moving the egg around slightly. Not too much, but mostly, I'll be honest with you, it will cook just from the sort of the transferred heat. I like a fairly runny yolk, which helps. And I think that's the point of doing it that way, actually. So it's okay. But I would say if the oil is hot, put it in for about a minute and a half, then start maybe thinking about you know, a minute and a half to two minutes, then maybe start thinking about trying to sort of ease the spatula under the edges of it to, to ease it off. And it probably wants about two and a half minutes with a runny, you know, with a, with a runny yolk from as long as the oil was hot. But yeah, don't let it stick and um, let the oil and let the heat of the egg, let the heat do the work. That's probably, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's, that would be my advice. It certainly does make sense, um, at least to me, because I, I I know what you're talking about. So yeah, you just scoop the oil over it, and it's going to generate enough heat that it's going to cook the eggs on both sides. Yeah, and then you just lightly move it with the spatula, you know, exactly with, with that's two it. minutes, yeah. and then just kind of let yeah. it cool a little bit before you move it onto your plate. Yes. All right now. Okay, so first of all, Tori, I know this is something you'd said you've actually never done before, so... Uh... Not as a blind person, no. The last time I fried an egg, I had sight, so... Okay. So not lots of it. So that's right, you lost your sight later in life than Carl did, so... Yes, although, to this, although we have the same eye condition. Okay, interesting how that works. Um, interesting discussion for blind since birth, actually, but that's a whole nother call. Um... But, uh, okay, did you have any additional thoughts or anything like that you'd like to add on? Um, no, although I can tell you that it was my nan, the one we mentioned before, who taught him how to fry the eggs. And when I used to still eat eggs, I can tell you she made amazing fried egg sandwiches and Carl does an amazing job with them. So listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. All right, there you go. Well, like I said, he's now internationally famous for his fried eggs. So, um, gotta be famous for something, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. Um, do we have any questions on how to make sunny side eggs? We do not have any at this moment. 
All right. Well, I hope everybody. I guess mention- everyone knows how to make sunny side effects now. I guess so. Well, <laughs> I will mention that I'll post the actual interview in whole, uh, in, in its entirety, without the uh, interruptions. And I'll get that out to everybody on the uh, cooking corner list. And um, that is. Uh, oh, now it's driving me mad. I think it's ACB Cooks at groups.io. Um, I'll look that up a little bit later. So I'll get everybody the full interview so you can hear it in its entirety. But um, there you go. Okay, well, we've got a lot more to cover. And uh, let's get back into it. Now, another thing that I think people might be interested in, because you mentioned this earlier, is you say that uh, you mentioned making things like a homemade cheese sauce. So uh, Mm -hmm. let's talk about that uh, now. So tell us us about your homemade cheese sauce. Okay, so my my homemade cheese sauce. So I use, well, there there are several ways of making a cheese sauce, really. There are lots of sort of several different recipes. I have one recipe which is easier which actually uses, I can't remember it probably, but I think it uses sort of cheese, sort of like a soft cheese, like a, uh, like a, like a cheese spread almost. And then some milk and then some like actual kind of grated cheese. And so then you make kind of like a two cheese sauce that makes kind of a fairly creamy cheese sauce. That's quite straightforward, but it's a very specific flavor really, depending on the, on, on what you, what you use. So and that came from from a recipe book, so that is a way of doing it, and there's something to look out for. What I actually do is 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 probably the more time consuming, but the posher sort of proper method, which is to start by making a, a roux, as they call it, R O U X, kind of a, a, um, a like a white sauce. So you put some butter in a pan. I think I would say about yeah about uh, depends how much you want to make this will probably make about a pint of cheese sauce which is quite a lot but tasty so about three tablespoons of butter in a pan like on a low heat this has got to be done slowly and on a low heat because you the butter the butter shouldn't boil you don't want the butter to like to get hot and fry but you want it to to melt Uh, once that's sort of melted um, a bit then you you put in about three tablespoons of, of flour plain or that's all purpose i think is there's all plain flour it doesn't need to be sort of raising flour because you don't want it to, to rise it's not not a cake uh, and then you agitate that you sort of whisk that really gently so that it sort of mixes in you don't want the flour to burn though the flour shouldn't start frying essentially that you're not cooking the, fr- the flour into like breadcrumbs you like like you would with a batter you're you're just sort of mixing it in. And then very quickly after that, very soon after that, pour in about a pint of milk. It can often be better to do it in kind of half pint or in sort of maybe a third of a pint or half a pint sort of amount so that that heats slightly before, because if you just put in a pint of cold milk or maybe warm your milk slightly, but again, you don't want it too hot because you're not boiling this. You shouldn't boil this. So then you pour in your milk carefully because obviously you're pouring it into the hot pan. Um, and then you need to whisk that, basically stir that with a whisk or a fork, something that will kind of allow you sort of to keep kind of air in it. A pint is about two cups of milk. So if you do not have a pint bottle, then that's how you can measure it out exactly. So, yeah, good um, point. Yeah, there you go. OK, so anyway, uh, I, I think yeah, you uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. So you've put your milk into your into your into your cheese sauce. 
you need to mix that then. You need to keep stirring that, keep whisking that for quite a while, really. It should take maybe five, possibly 10 minutes. And you'll notice it starts to sort of thicken, like the resistance against the, the whisk will be more. Again, you're not whisking this hard. You're not beating this. You're not beating eggs or mixing a cake. You're just gently mixing it so that it keeps everything mixing together. The flour doesn't settle or clump because uh, a, a common problem with, with these sort of sauces is that the flour makes kind of clumps, really, and then doesn't sort of thicken the whole sauce. Once that starts to thicken then, is then you add your cheese. So you want about 500 gram, no, that's a lot of cheese, about 200 grams probably, or maybe a bit more, depending on how much cheese you like. I like a lot of cheese. So I would, you know, so maybe two or 300 grams, which, yeah, of, of cheese, um, grated. So, so let's see, computer, how many ounces is 200 grams? I think it's about eight ounces. About seven ounces. Okay, so you can basically, what he's talking about is about an eight ounce bag of um, grated cheese or a uh, block, basically. So Yes, that's right. Yeah. And so you want that to be grated. And then, uh, yeah, and then you sort of mix that in and that will melt in. Give it a few more minutes to make sure it's thickened and to make sure that the cheese has melted in. And that's your cheese sauce. Now, two tips with it. Well, three tips. The first is just a reminder. Keep it on a low heat. It should be hot enough to kind of cook, but you don't want it to be boiled. You're not boiling it. The second tip is to use a bigger pan than you actually need because you are agitating it kind of all along and you don't want to be making a mess and wasting your nice cheese sauce and having to clean melted uh, hot milk off of the hob. That's definitely not fun. And the third tip is if it doesn't thicken, like if it's still not as thick as you'd like it, then you can add small amounts of corn flour a little bit at a time or is that cornstarch i think that's the same thing yeah um, yeah so so add those a little bit at a time and then give it and then and then keep stirring for a for a minute or so and sort of let, let that thicken uh, yeah and, and that should give you your cheese sauce and then you can pour that over anything there are there are what are some common recipes for that what i like to do is to sort of chop up some chicken and bacon fairly finely with sort of a Cajun, slight, like a mild Cajun sort of spice rub, just like out of a jar, I must admit. Oh, you know, I, I, I could make it, but I don't with this. And then fry those or sort of grill those and then have that with pasta and this cheese sauce. That cheese sauce would be quite common for the cheese layer of a lasagna as well. If you've like made a mince mince and tomato sauce kind of like, um, separate, which which I would make a homemade lasagna. Also, that cheese sauce would be good for a macaroni cheese. So what you do with that then, you'd have cooked the pasta separately in another pan, boiled it so that it's al dente, as they say, so not quite ready, but softening. And then you would uh, put that in a, an oven-proof sort of dish or a pour your cheese sauce over it, uh, and then maybe grate some, uh, some more cheese, if you like. <laughs> Uh, well, yes, you should grate some more cheese uh, and some breadcrumbs over the top of that and then kind of put that in an oven or grill it for about another 15 minutes to make the top crispy. That's a, that's how to make mac and cheese. Um, or, of course, if you're making like a baked sort of pasta, so like um, maybe uh, making a, oh, I forgot what it's called now, kind of, a, well, a, a ravioli you could be, or uh, like where you, you take lasagna sheets and you sort of roll them around um, a filling or like spinach and ricotta in a filling and then you pour the cheese sauce over that again and then you sort of bake that. Or enchiladas, actually. That cheese sauce could work sort of to pour over as a mix with, like if you like quite cheesy sort of enchiladas. It's not great. It's not like as ideal for that because I should be more tomato-y really for the Mexican 
sauces, but they do have, you know, the chair made a good cheesy, cheesy enchiladas the other day. All right. Oh. And I did look afterwards, and yes, from what I'm seeing on Google, that uh, cornstarch and corn flour are the same thing. Yes, they are. Um, right. And also, just so that anyone who has dairy issues knows, that recipe, which I do have a copy of, um, can be easily veganized by simply removing the dairy stuff and using dairy-free alternatives. All right. And also, I wanted to mention that uh, we found out with uh, Janine's Alfredo recipe last week that it actually only calls for eight ounces of that uh, grated Parmesan, not 16 ounces. So I should have remembered this interview when uh, going through Janine's uh, thing last week. That uh, is, um, you know, uh, As a rule of thumb, 25 yep. grams is an ounce, approximately. 25 right. grams is approximately an ounce. All right. Well, guys, you know, but thanks to technology, if you ever go to a different country, you just have to learn the slightly different terminology or the measurements and uh, you can still cook. So um, there you go. So 25 grams is an ounce. And yeah, according to um, the Alexa device, two uh, a pint is uh, two cups. So uh, that's four cups of milk. That definitely seems like a lot, but... Um, I guess it's a very rich uh, sauce then. So, and actually, well, he did say it makes quite a bit of sauce. Yes, I, I can tell that. Uh, all right. Well, do we have any questions, cheesy or otherwise? We do not currently. And uh, just as a quick time check, it is ten forty-five. All right. Well, guys, we have 45 minutes left and uh, still quite a bit to get through, actually. So um, let's go on to our next. Actually, first of all, Tori, did you have any final comments on this? No, just what I said about how you can veganize the thing. And I've got the recipe if people want the actual recipe. All right. Well, and uh, that sounds good. Okay, let's continue on then and move to our next topic. Another thing that I really was uh, very intrigued about uh, that you mentioned to me in uh, one of your emails is one of the types of cooking you have done is oven open fire. Now, first of all, before we continue on, I want to mention with the macaroni, um, you didn't mention this, but I'm assuming you, after you boil it, you'd want to strain it first before putting it into the uh, oven proof dish. Yes, absolutely. Good points. And to do that, I would set a colander in the sink so it's sort of sturdy and sort of so that it's like, like, yeah, and then pour the, the whole of the saucepan of pasta into the colander. Do it from quite low down so you're not like letting it drop from a great height. And do it slowly so you're not sloshing kind of boiling water. Then once the saucepan's empty, set that aside somewhere where you're not going to burn yourself on it and it's not going to sort of burn the countertop, uh, which shouldn't happen normally, by the way, but sometimes it's worth bearing in mind. And then you take the colander sort of in both hands and then you sort of gently shake that over the sink sort of to get the rest of the rest of the water out, really, sort of to dry the pasta off a bit. You don't need to be too thorough because actually slightly damp pasta holds sauces better than dry pasta. And also it's easier to spread through the pan. It doesn't sort of stick together. All right. Now, I, I don't know what everybody else is going to be thinking. Personally, I, I think cooking with Carl would be a great uh, show to uh, bring to ACB. But uh, at, the, at the risk of uh, having competition, you know... Uh 
<laughs> it's all good, though. I, th- I think that people can learn a lot of different techniques from multiple people and figure out what works think- best for them. So. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's super important to find out what's best for you. Because obviously I'm talking about the way that I do things. I've done these things myself because this is kind of how I've learned to do them or because I've done them for a long time, but that doesn't make them right. They're right for me. They work for me. But actually I could be taught something totally new tomorrow that will revolutionize the way that I straight pastor. For example, no one should ever stop learning, however old you are, whatever you're learning to do. Definitely. I mean, I will tell you, I have actually cooked on a gas stove before. It's an interesting experience because it certainly heats up a lot quicker than electricity, but it can be a little bit more dangerous for sure. And you do have to worry about burners going out, which is not fun. Mm. But uh, speaking of uh, gas and flames and stuff, so you mentioned talking about, uh, you know, you've cooked over an open fire before. So let's hear about that. Yeah. So the first thing is to be careful. Like, I, I, you know, it, 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 you can never say too much, like with cooking anyway. Okay. Be safe cooking and specifically if we're talking about fires, be safe. So if you're going to light a fire, do it in a place which, where you can contain it. So what I found best, I have cooked over sort of like a campfire, which I'll talk about as well. But what's best is you can get these sort of fire pits. They're basically sort of three or normally three or four legged sort of low kind of bowls, if you like, that you can sort of set on the ground and then you can set a fire uh, in that, which means it's contained. It's a small fire. It's not necessarily going to like a big old kind of bonfire, but yeah, you can make a, a small fire in that. And they often come with grills as well, so that once the fire's burned down a little bit, then you can put a grill kind of over the top of it and use that essentially as a cooking surface. Some important tricks, um, things to bear in mind when you're out cooking with, with an open fire um, and actually, when you're cooking at all, is think about what you're wearing, okay? And actually, yeah, this is just important. So whatever you're cooking, wherever you're cooking, if you've got a tie on or if you've got sort of long sort of float, you know, flowing sleeves or, uh, you know, or, or a coat or a robe or something like that, whatever you're wearing, think about where that is. Always be aware of where that is. If it's dipped in things, you know, dipped in your pans or, or whatever. So think about that. Tying your hair back as well you know, making sure that you're sort of, you're safe. With the uh, kind of grills kind of on top of these uh, fire pits, the edges of them can be a bit cooler. Never touch them with your bare hands, but maybe using like an oven mitt or something like that. They're often your best friends. You know, you can use that to gauge where the edge of this is because they'll overhang the, the fire bowl, if you like. Always wait till the fire's burned down as well. So you never, you don't cook, actually. You never cook on a big old blazing fire. You cook when the fire's burned down a bit. So that's still kind of hot, but it's not a big high crackling fire. It's kind of like a bed of, of, of coals, if you like, or sort of still sort of burning, but it's kind of lower and spread out because otherwise the food will just char rather than, rather than cooking. So, so some specific things that we've done is you can get sausage. They're like tongs really, but they clip closed. And so you can put sausages in them and hold them sort of, and they stay kind of, they, they sort of like lock together almost. And then you can sort of put those over the fire and the handles of those will be sticking out. So this is an interesting one. This is because when you're cooking ordinarily, when you're cooking on a, on a stove top, Always, always, always turn the handles away from you. Never leave handles sticking out into the kitchen where you're walking around and moving around. 
so that you don't knock things off. Definitely. That's good advice for anybody. But potentially with a with a fire, you shouldn't be like moving around too much near an open fire without being careful anyway. So and because you don't want to be exploring the fire too closely, leave like you can have the pan handles or whatever, you know, sticking out a bit so that they're easier to find so and that they're not getting too hot. Pans with sort of long handles and I've, I've also used sort of like army mess tins for heating up soup and things like that, but they have metal handles. So always make sure that you're sort of checking with the oven mitts or ever how hot things are. This again is a good rule when you're ordinarily cooking. Take time to find out where things are, how hot things are before you touch them with your bare hands. We've made bread uh, on a fire. So making bread kind of either with a, with a bread mix and then often what we found better is i is sort of to roll it into sort of i've got these really long metal skewers essentially that you could use to put that you could make very long kind of strings of kind of kebabs like put like thread them with chicken or sausages um and peppers um and maybe bits of onion if you wanted to and then sort of you they could you could rest those on the on the on the grill over the over the fire and that would be the same for barbecuing really some a lot of this applies to barbecuing as well um uh, and um uh, yeah and they'll want turning but actually to, what we've what i've found quite successful is you can do that kind of with with bread so you make um these kind of quite long sort of i guess sort of snakes of bread almost then you sort of twine them around and around the outside of this kind of grill this um skewer and then you sort of put that rest that on the on the on the on the grill um turning it fairly regularly now the important thing there is that bread takes a long time to cook uh so uh and often because it's kind of over the fire like the outside will cook more quickly than the inside so actually making these thinner sort of sort of sort of you know spirals of bread is better because a loaf won't cook as easily you need to use a different technique for making like a making like an oven which is much more complicated in time consuming we won't talk about that but um yeah so we've made bread on fires before uh we've uh yeah we've uh baked uh baked camembert to dip the bread in um fried bacon kind of in a pan again just sort of a mess tin or a pan a lot of um, fire-safe kind of pans and things like camping pans, though, they're not as reliably non-stick as the kind of pans that you might use in a kitchen. So you may need a little bit more oil or you may need to just bear that in mind, uh, really. Kind of, um, also, of course, if you're cooking on a fire, particularly for camping or something like that, you're a little bit further away from reliable washing up facilities. So kind of bear that, bear that in mind. Barbecuing, I guess, is probably the... You know, like I said, it's a similar thing. You can get like barbecue tools often have longer handles, like long handled tongs and forks and things like that, and toasting forks. Uh, with barbecuing, because obviously they, there is, you know, it is really quite sort of hot and it, and it is open fire. So often using two tools is important there. So whereas often you might use kind of your, you know, your one hand sort of to, to, to use a tool that you're using and the other hand maybe to support your pan or something like that. You might want to, you know, because if you don't have the same kind of style, like depth perception doesn't work in the same way when you can't see, you need to use both of your hands, I guess, to kind of get like an image of where things, like, you know, a, like a, yeah, like a perspective of where things are. So use two tools for that. And one of them will be like the tongs that you'll kind of want to grip your burger or your sausage or your um, veggie kebab or, you know, with. And the other one will be like, um, uh, a fork or like a long fork or a fish slice or something or a spatula 
which you will essentially use to locate them. And also that can be used to hold things in place. And if you're frying sausages, one of the most annoying things when you can't see about frying sausages is trying to trying to pick them up with your tongs. And if you haven't got them at the right angle, you're just chasing them around the pan yes. or chasing them around the grill. So use another thing to hold them in place on the other side of them, sort of to almost push against them. Um, and that's a thing uh, as well, really. Um, yeah, uh, you can cook soup on fires, of course. That's quite easy to just heat soup through, like canned soup, or, you know, you can make your own if you, if you, if you like. Boil kettles for a nice cup of tea or coffee. They've sort of done that. But again, just making sure that you use the right equipment. Um, having somewhere that you can set things down near you as well is quite important. Because obviously, if you're outside on a kind of a grassy field, it's a bit rough. So if you're putting down a pot or something that's quite top heavy, um, then it could topple over, which isn't good. Or if, you know, you don't want to be putting hot things directly onto the grass. Um, so being prepared again, having something safe to work, to work on and set things aside on as well is, 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 is quite important there. If you're cooking over a campfire, you'd normally do something slightly different. And, and often like that's a bit, like it's not as easy. You don't have a flat working surface really to cook on. So that's where it can be really good. For example, to make baked potatoes, baked potatoes on a fire are really great, but they can take a long time and they can be hard to find again because you essentially need to put them in the edges of the fire or kind of right at the edge of the fire um, so that they are, close enough to kind of really benefit from the heat, but not too close so that they actually burn. You wrap them up in thick layers of tin foil. Um, and then you, um, you know, then you'll sort of turn them occasionally. Um, it, it can often be helpful to kind of get sighted assistance with that. Cause, uh, cause, uh, cause, cause it's normally, it's, it's difficult to safely get them close enough to the fire really to cook properly. Something else that you can do with a campfire um, is, is, um, is, is basically sort of hanging things kind of above it. So, so, uh, a proper sort of rough kind of camping technique is to have two forked sticks, one at either side of the fire, and then have a, have another stick that goes across between them. And then the forked sticks at either end will hold it up. And then you can hang, um, you can hang, you can get cans like a kind of a, a, a billy can, as you might call it, or, you can get specific cans and pots that you hang over it or else you can skewer sort of sausages through the stick or um, other pieces of meat. Um, and yeah, then you turn the stick kind of like a, like, which is essentially the same as what a spit would be. You turn that so that um, every so often, so that like the, the heat can heat other, the other sides of the food. Two things to bear in mind with that. One is making sure that things are securely on the, the stick because if they sort of slip off because they're too close to the edge and they're under fire and you've lost them. The other one is to make sure that the sticks on either side are far enough away from the fire that, that they don't catch fire and that they're long enough so that the stick resting across the top is high enough above the fire so that it uh, doesn't catch fire, if you see what I mean. Small fires are the thing. When you're cooking over a fire, you make small fires. If you want to sit around it and play guitar, then you make big fires and it's all cosy. But if you're, yeah, if you're cooking over them, they should be small and you wait for them to, to settle down a bit. It's slower cooking over a fire. It can be really lovely, actually. The thing that I found with that is if you go camping, you spend half the day doing it, cooking over a fire. 
And in a way, it feels simpler. It feels like what kind of camping is is all about. In a way, you're not you're not sort of rushing through the rest of the day. You know that you've given over your day to that, and then you really feel like you've achieved something when you've done it. Sorry, I I, I nope, got quite enthusiastic about that. <laughs> nope, you're 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 good. Okay, that's a lot to take in there. Um, first of all, just one quick comment. I have, I, I think he's brave, personally. I don't know if I'd ever have the courage to cook over a fire like that. But that's just me. Um, anyway, Tori, did you have any comments? Um, Carl's done a lot more cooking over open fires than I have, and I still had some vision when I did what I did do. Um, but one thing I've done that he didn't mention, he said about making sure you're using small fires. Well, I once roasted a marshmallow over a candle. You can't get a lot smaller than that. Um, same kind of rules apply, but it's easier to um, locate your fire because you can locate your candle. Um, Definitely. <laughs> uh, so if you, as long as you can figure out how to get it lit, then... Um, that's an option if you just want to do something a little more safely and you're only looking to roast a marshmallow, but it does take a long time, like you said. Well, all I can say is you should collaborate with Mariah Carey because, you know, there's, there's a Christmas song she wrote called Light a Candle, and uh, now you can add, add on to it. So it's now Light a Candle, Roast a Marshmallow. So uh, Yeah, why not? <laughs> there you go. All right, so we've got half an hour left, and we do have a little bit more to get to, but do we have any questions or comments before we move along? We do not. All right, then uh, we will continue on. Um, This is all very, uh, I think it's very important, and uh, you covered a lot of details. Um, One question I did have, too, though, is so frying bacon, that's something I tried to do a long time ago. If I make it, well, now I make turkey bacon anyway, but um, Mm -hmm. I tried to do that a long time ago. I find it very interesting to try to find all the pieces with a spatula and whatnot. So how do you fry uh, bacon in a pan, whether it's on the stove or on a fire or whatever? Yeah, so... I tend to grill bacon when I can, I, when, when, uh, quite frequently, because you can take the grill pan out, you know, out of the grill and then more easily sort of use it to yeah. you know, more easily find things. Um, but I, when I do fry bacon, I, I don't like a lot of frying pans have curved sides, don't they? They sort of curve up rather than being straight sided. Yes. And I find that quite annoying, I must admit, because yes, it might be easier to sort of nicely sort of slip your omelette out onto the plate with a flourish, but also it means that when you're chasing things around the pan, they slip up the sides and fall out. So trying trying to get a, a, pa- a frying pan with sort of straighter sides is good. Um. <clears throat> Being gentle is quite is quite important. So if you're rough with your bacon, then it'll fall apart and then you'll have more pieces to find. And tongs. So use a spatula with one hand perhaps to find the bacon, to feel it tapping maybe on the pan. And if you taps on the panel, then it sounds a bit less like a pan when you've hit the bacon, if you see what, what I'm trying to say. Right. You can hear them, you know, when you're touching the bacon. Then use the spatula to almost hold the bacon in place and then ease tongs under it and then use tongs. Once you've got it secured in your tongs, lift it up and then ease it over and then let go of it. And then it will be sort of turned over then if, if you want to. So tongs are your fate or your friend when frying bacon or sausages, really. 
um, for sort of picking them up and, and controlling them in a pan. Yep. All right. Well, you've definitely imparted a lot of information today. So um, what other kind of tips or tricks would you like to share with everyone? Um, yeah. So the, the the first thing I would like to, to think about specialist equipment. Um, so there's lots of thoughts about whether you need any special adaptations in the kitchen to cook when you can't see. Um, the answer is that depends entirely on you. Well, no, actually, the answer is yes, you do. You do need some, but what you need, that's what depends on you. So I have um, the main things I use. I have a measuring jug with like a tactile kind of measure so I can sort of, you know, kind of look at basically, you know, you can sort of feel kind of uh, where the liquid kind of comes up to um uh, you know, in comparison with like raised marks uh, for certain uh, uh, measurements, uh, I have weighing scales that speak. Although, of course, weighing sp- scales where you you know with with those balance balance scales um, should work perfectly well. Like the dig- digital scales would need to speak, of course, if you're going to use them to weigh things out. Um, but you know, the, the old fashioned sort of balance scales, you know, where you put the weights on one side and then you have a dish for the ingredients on the other they 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 can they can be all right as long as you're gentle with them and don't don't force them let them go where they need to go because that's how to make them how to use them accurately um but i don't really have that much else sometimes i use things to like labeling things as well i guess braille or tactile labels or you can get um devices now with kind of little stickers essentially like qr codes i guess but rather than sending you to a website you you can like record a little message and you put this sticker um, and then you hold this yep. thing like a pen over the, and it speaks out what pen the label friend, says. I think pen friends. Oh, they yep. are called pen friends in America as well. That's good. So yeah, a pen friend, that's great for labeling all my herbs and things like that. And for labeling tins, if you stick the pen, the labels onto magnets as well, rather than sticking them directly onto the tins, then of course, you know, for cans of, of food, then you can reuse them. You can, you know, take the magnet off when you open the can, and then you can re-record and sort of use the same label for something else. So it makes them sort of, you know, reusable then. But then that allows you to be in control. You know where things are. You know what you've got. And getting people to record use-by dates on them as well, or even cooking instructions, because the messages can be quite long on those. If you need someone to record your cooking instructions for you, you know, being prepared is important. Um. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, but ultimately it depends what you need. You can get liquid level indicators so that like, you know, you put those on the edge of a glass or a mug or a pan. And when you pour water in, when it gets full, like it will beep. They're not so good for a pan because actually when they get full enough to start that off, then it's quite near the top. And actually that's, then that's quite full, really. It's fuller than you need. But for pouring like hot drinks, for example, or, you know, measuring into sort of bowls or something like that. If you want to, you know, rather than overfilling soup bowls or something, that could be useful. But you don't have to. The other thing is, if you need to get your hands dirty, you need to get your hands dirty. Always wash your hands before cooking, especially cooking for other people. But it's it's always good to be clean because we use our hands for so much. Definitely. So always wash your hands before cooking. Um... Um, and, um, you know, if you need to use your hands to check where things are, then absolutely do it. If you then have to keep rewashing your hands, then you have to keep rewashing your hands. Maybe have a, have a bowl of sort of soapy water set aside to do that. 
um, you know, and, and kind of keep drying them. Be careful with hot things, obviously. Um, but yeah, if you need to do that, then you can. The other thing is about chopping things up. So chopping is an integral part of things. We use our fingertips, so we don't want to lose them. So we take our time. It is, as I said at the start, it's okay if it takes longer when you when you can't see. Take longer, be safe. Um, but you can use a knife to sort of chop things. Um, what you can get, however, are these kind of hand blenders, which is basically like a pot, and you put your you put the pot essentially you put like, let's say an onion on your chopping board and you put this sort of pot over it and the pot's got like a plunger on the top. Yep. And you press down on the plunger and like blades in the top of the pot kind of press down and chop up your, your onion. So it's done by hand. So you can control how it happens that you're well out, you know, your hands are completely safe, you know, and and it's sort of manual. It's there. They can be a bit of a pain, you know, pain in the neck to clean, but they are great. They're quick and they're safe and they're, you know, they're a really interesting thing. Because when I talked about equipment, I talked about specialist equipment when I started this, but you know what? There's so much out there. I discovered the other day something which I've wanted for a long time and I knew they existed, but I sort of was surprised now that for slicing bread, if you make fresh bread or if you want to slice cheese or slicing kind of cakes or even slicing things like a meatloaf or a, or a, or something like that. You can you can get these kind of guides. They don't work for round things, I guess. But if you made like a loaf cake or a yeah, or for slicing cheese, yeah. Bas- basically, they're like um, a, a wooden guide. So you sort of place the cheese in this sort of this box, essentially without a top, and and there are there are like cuts down either side of it, which you can sort of put your knife through those and the knife kind of guides you know is guided downwards you can cut the cheese like them um straighter or the bread of course you can cut it straighter and you can kind of cut you know make sure the slices are even because you can sort of set it kind of where you want um you can probably use that i guess for for some types of of, of vegetables and things as well but it, it would be a bit more time consuming really to do that but the point is that's not that's not special that's not different you don't have to be special and different and have all these gadgets these things exist they exist for lazy people they exist for precise people and they exist for people who just can't cut bread because bread's hard yep. to cut straight yep. so so it's absolutely fine. Look at what's out there. Think about you know what's out there on 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 Amazon or on your local kind of kind of cooking stores. Because if you go into your local kind of kitchen store and you say I'm looking for a, like looking for something which might do this, they're only happy to too happy to sell it to you. Um, and the internet is your friend. Okay, there are recipes out there. There are you know there's advice out there. Of course, there's 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 you know there's there's obviously Herbie's kind of cooking. Um, you know, cooking recordings out there, of course. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, it's, it don't be afraid sort of to learn. And the last trick is to work up to it. Like don't cooking doesn't mean making a six course meal. Okay. Cooking means eating like meat means, means anything, even just making a sandwich. Even if you're just talking about buttering bread and slicing cheese, putting them together, if that is the first thing that you've done, be proud of it because a cheese sandwich is good. It's health. It's nutrient. You know, it's not unhealthy. It's um, tasty. Um, and you can add a slice of lettuce, and that's you know, and that is still a meal. You have still prepared a meal. Um, 
So I'm talking casually about all these things I've cooked. I, I'm I'm not doing this to, to to show off. I'm not doing this to tell you what you should no, be doing. I'm hopefully telling yeah. you to inspire you, really. But take your time. Just be proud of what you do achieve. Definitely. No, I, I think you have some very good tips. And yeah, just start off with something simple if you don't feel like uh, complicated stuff. And you can definitely get a lot of stuff from uh, anywhere. Well, thank you, Carl. This has been a great interview. No, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm, uh, if, if, and if, you know, if anyone's got any questions, I'm sure we can you know, do something like this again sometime. Yep, most definitely. And uh, we'll, if, uh, for those of you that have questions, I'll be writing them down and um, we'll uh, get them to Carl and uh, we can do another session addressing your questions. So, yeah. all right. And there you have it, guys. Um, so, as you can tell, he has a lot to uh, offer. And um, I, we didn't, there, there's more we probably could have talked about. I think I only just scratched the surface with him. And we definitely did not talk about ovens or anything like that. But uh, let's bring in uh, Tori. Uh, what are your uh, comments on the, this uh, last section there? Um, well, first of all, I have some extra tools that I use that he doesn't because he feels confident working without them. I don't so much. Um, for example, um, this applies to whether I'm using ordinary cheese for somebody else or doing the vegan cheese for myself. When I'm grating it, I tend to catch my knuckles on the cheese grater. So Carl actually brought me a little machine that you pop the piece of, like a chunk, a big chunk of cheese in and you just turn the handle and it grates it for you. Um, you know, wow. and I've got a um, chopping board that you hold the handle in a certain way and it kind of turns it into a pouring spout so you can more easily pour stuff off your chopping board so it doesn't go everywhere, stuff like that. And stuff like th uh, those you can actually get on places like Amazon. So you don't even have to, in a lot of cases, go to specialty stores to get the tools that will potentially help you and make it more accessible to you. Definitely. I think maybe we could uh, put together a resource list of uh, just valuable tools that people use. And um, you never because uh, that definitely sounds uh, like some cool stuff there. All right. Um, well, guys, first of all, does anybody have any questions on this last section on the interview as a whole? Something we didn't cover. Now is a good time. And though there's a few of you uh, still here. Uh, Beth has a question. All right, Beth. No, I don't, I don't really have a question. I have a comment, I think. I thought the interview was very good. Um, what I use a lot, excuse me, what I use a lot is an electric skillet for a lot of my stuff, and and you can make anything in an electric skillet too. And that way, it has a lid, you know, and and the grease doesn't go everywhere, or or the liquid doesn't go everywhere, and it has sides, you know. I don't know if yeah. you're familiar with an electric skillet. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, we don't actually have one. Um, I don't have one, and Carl doesn't have one that I'm aware of, unless he's got one recently and hasn't told me. Um, but I am aware of them. And personally, um, if it wasn't for the fact that I have cited backup for frying things, I would invest in one of those too. Well, yeah. I don't... Go ahead. I have cited backup sometimes, but I don't. He no, I, I have well. been citing that. <laughs> he so, uh, I'm different than he does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see. Put it that way. Oh, there yeah. you go. Um, I do. I have had an electric skillet. I don't. I must admit, I actually prefer a stovetop better, just because. I'm a little bit impatient. Um, you know, I, I do thing. you know, I, I like things to cook a little bit faster. Electric skillets don't always seem to get that hot, but that's great for somebody that's just starting out. And they do have the advantage of you don't have to position them with, on a burner or anything like that. Uh, it's like not only great for somebody who's just starting out, but also somebody who doesn't have quite as much confidence around it. Yes, definitely. Um well, no, so, I have confidence, but I don't like a lot of the digital stuff. Like, yes. a lot of the stoves now have the buttons and all that, and I don't have the yeah. patience. That, that, and that. that is definitely something, too. You know, back in my day, when it was, I don't want to make it sound like I'm old here, but back in my day, when I first learned cooking, it was the year 1999, and dial stoves were still the rage back then. We have a dial stove. Yep, so do we. Um, <laughs> I I, prob- I might... Go ahead. No, I just said we do too. I, we have a dial stove. You know, you have to go fish for him things for those. Yep. Yeah, these days so, you have to specifically look for one. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, if I was in a new apartment and it had digital stuff that I didn't feel confident operating, then I might reconsider my position on the electric. But personally, like I said, I actually like my new wave a lot better. It's more like stovetop cooking, but it's a little bit safer. And you, what's nice about the induction burner, too, is if you feel concerned at any time, you can, as soon as you remove the pan from the thing, it kind of turns off the element. I mean, you can still turn the device off completely, obviously, but um, it has that added safety feature that it has to be centered on the magnet for it to work. Um, That's a cool feature. So I personally like that better over the electric skillet myself. What is but, exactly is the new wave? We- so it's an induction burner. It uh, I don't. It, it, it's a different way of the heat being done. Like Carl and, and the Carl mentioned this earlier. Like they make stoves with them too, but it's kind of a bit more of a precise heat, and so it's a little bit safer than cooking. It, it, it's not quite cooking with an electric stove, but and it's not quite cooking with a skillet either. I'd say it's it's more like cooking on a stove, but with the safety of an electric skillet. That's how I would describe it. The versions they do with the the ability to the stoves here are not like that. They are literally just a level surface where right. you can see the rings, um, but you cannot feel them. And if the if the rings are turned on, then they're generating heat. 
You know, I'm an equal opportunity employer guy. If your dog wants to participate in the call, I have no objections. So, um, well, that's what I was going to say too. That a lot of these stoves that they're making now are flat, like Tori was saying. You know, they're yeah. Um, I want to. I see that we actually do have another. Race. Really, that's enough. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you do have a couple of the raised hands. Okay, so let's get to them. Chanel? Hello. Um, I really enjoyed the interview. I just want to say it was great. I'd have him cook for me or us anytime. And uh, I am wondering if you will be able to try making the rice the way that he suggests. Or do you have a better way? Or not a better way, but a way that, you know, you would prefer to make it. So I rice is one of those things I will have to experiment with again. Um but uh, I will probably experiment not with the kettle method, just with the cold water method. But yeah, um, the the cold water method is a lot safer. Yeah. So. Um, awesome. Yep. Oh, and we hear the birds. Yep, I have the original sound on, and I'm getting some sunshine. Yep, I can so. Yep. All right. Well, uh, there you go. Um, That's a tweet for us. Yep. Well, you know, we're talking about a cookie. Never mind. I, uh, I was going to talk about four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie, but yeah, okay. Um, that's fly, enough. birdies, fly, save yourselves. <laughs> Pretty much. We're not going <laughs> to do anything to the birdies. Don't worry. We we actually like them chirping. So, um, and especially because it means spring is here, and that goes into another bad bird song. Anyway, um, okay. moving on. Thank you, Chanel. Okay, who do we have next? Somebody save us, please. So um, I I just wanted to ask just a little bit more about the um, induction burner that you have. And I may have missed a little of the discussion coming from one room to the other where you're a minute behind the A device on the other room. Um, So... I, I've heard of the new wave as an as an oven substitute, but is this this is a different device? This is just a burner because I really yes. would like one. I I um, you know have all the trauma of the stove. Everybody you know top that everybody's talking about, and I've used it for sure. But I have now decided to use it as an extension of my countertop, and I don't use it anymore because it's just been not quite worth it. And Anything that does boil over, it's really, really hard to deal with because um, there's not stuff going down the burners, but it's, you know, on that, um, on the burner, which is a real problem. So, um, especially if it's jam. Oh, if it's just about anything, yeah. And I, by the way, I survived the discussion of the sunny side up eggs. I was afraid that might make me sick, but I did good. Um, But can, can you talk? Yeah, just kidding. Can you, can you talk just, um, so this is a, a, a different uh, new way because uh, I'm not that familiar with. And That's can you okay. use any metal pan on it, or do you have to buy special metal pans for it? So, per, I, there you really do have to buy special metal pans for it. I think there are some that, while not designed for the new wave, will actually work on it. I've just honestly stuck to the two pans that yeah. I have that are specifically designed for, for the new wave. You okay. know, there's you know, I'd rather be safe if I need to use yeah. anything else. Sure, sure. Um, so this is a little burner, like it's a little uh, pad. Um, 
I'll have to show you guys. I've, I've used it before in some of my cooking calls, but I'll use it again in a future one so you'll all get to hear what it sounds like. Um, not for this uh, next chocolate cake recipe, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you don't make that on top of the stove. No, <laughs> but it's a little device that well, it's not little. It's a good size, but you plug it in mm-hmm. and. It has a flat surface that you place your pan on, and then there's slightly different models, of course. The one I have, uh, my mom got me one that has actual push buttons. Yeah. Um, so there's a an on-off button, and it turns on this little fan, so that's how you know it's yeah. on. And so, and it makes a beeping sound when you press the button too. And then there's an off button to the left of it. And then you set your uh, temperature. You've got your very low, low, medium, low, medium, high, and very high. And you can even adjust the temperature to make it higher or lower, hotter or cooler, you know, from your setting as well if you need to. And you just, it it takes a few minutes to warm up. You give it about five or so minutes, but I usually put everything in the pan ahead of time. I don't want to put stuff in a hot pan if I don't have to. Um, So I let stuff, uh, you know, so, and then it takes a few minutes to warm up. Then you just, you know, constantly watch it and stir it. So does it look like the old hot plates? I mean, does it kind of look like a hot plate then? I have not seen the old hot plates. See, you're not old enough for that. I'm not. But it's a flat <laughs> surface. Yeah. It's very raised, okay. um, very well defined. And then there is also a safety feature built into the device too, where it will cut off after like forty-five sure. minutes. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you heat it up, you have to have the pan on it for it to be able. Because you mentioned that when you took yes. the pan off, it would stop. Yes, my the particular mm-hmm. model I have, you do. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's helpful. Thank you. I, I've, I've been wanting one, and I look at them, and they seem really expensive, or at least the ones I've looked at in Amazon, and I just right. don't know anything about them. And so it's helpful to think about a particular model, and that's helpful. Definitely. Well, I will next month you know, I'll do a recipe that uh, involves actually cooking with a device, so everybody, again, will get to hear it in real time again. So, All right. And Tori, any additional comments? You do have another raised hand. All right, then let's go to our next raised hand. Hannah. Hannah. Happy Hannah. We got five minutes left, so. Uh... Hey, I'll be real quick. I was just wanted to ask about your induction. Like you said, it's a new wave. Can you feel where the where you're supposed to put the pan? Because my parents have one that. Oh, my dad uses it flat, but there's a little bit of a ring that I can feel. Yes. But the problem is the buttons are not tactile. So are your, the buttons on yours tactile? So the one I have are definitely tactile buttons because um, that's the only type of thing I would get anyway, if, unless I had no choice. But the one I have is definitely tactile buttons. You can, I mean, the pan, it kind of is a little bit of a magnet. And so it just kind of stick. You can kind of tell that it's centered on the top and it's not like a stove where you've got four different areas to pick from you know it's only just one surface so it's a little bit of you just try to you center the pan before you turn the device on and if it doesn't feel like it's heating up or whatever correctly then you just kind of maneuver the pan around a little bit and the side doesn't get as hot as a stove does so you can kind of still feel if you need to center it and uh, there you go Right, and do you know what brand it is? You said New Wave? New Wave, yes. All right. Thank you. This has been a wonderful presentation. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Anybody else? 
Nope, we don't have anyone else. Alright guys, well don't forget we've got It's Electric where they will even go more in depth on uh, these type of devices and I don't want to steal from that call but uh, I believe the next one is uh, tomorrow evening and uh, if uh, just make sure you look at community at acb.org. Email them if you're not on the schedule. That's right. It and, is tomorrow evening. Yep, it is tomorrow evening. Okay, yes. So I, so I highly encourage you all to, that's 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, Eastern, 4 Pacific. Wow. Um, and I won't even guess UK time, but it, it's If a it's 7 p.m. Eastern, then it's midnight UK time. Yep. So midnight, come talk electric for you. And uh, she, Jeannie does a wonderful job in covering all sorts of electrical devices. And uh, by the way, folks, we still got 30 minutes left. Let's go to the coffee clutch. That's what I'm going to be doing. And uh, I hope to see you all there. And it's been fun. I hope you all enjoyed the format. And... Um, with that, let's see. I've got three more minutes. So, um, for I, I'm assuming everybody, the, those of you that stayed at least for sure, did enjoy the format. Deb, uh, sorry uh, uh, making you sick. If it makes you feel any better, <laughs> I don't do sunny side up eggs myself either. So, um, having uh, knowing how to cook them from Carl's perspective was useful for uh, those that wanted to learn for how a few to. Years now, I haven't done eggs in general. So, <laughs> all right. Um, coffee clutch is next, guys. Like I said, a couple weeks will be our next call. We're going to be making a Tori's chocolate sponge cake. So my nan's actually you're her nan's. That's going to be a lot of fun. And don't forget yeah. Janine's call tomorrow. Oh yes, Janine's call. I should. I hope I don't forget it because I'm. Hosting and in it. the kitchen with Courtney and Carrie, but I don't know what they're making. I don't know what on they're making Sunday. either. I do know yeah. we're going to be. Yep, I think we're going to be doing hard boiled eggs on Janine's call tomorrow. And um, deviled eggs, I think. Deviled eggs. Yep. So um, be little angels and come to that. Anyway, for those of you listening on ACB Media, if you've not done so, make sure you subscribe to community at acb.org. Tell them you want to be part of our community call list so you can join these in person and contribute to the fun. But regardless of how you uh, listen, we're glad to have you. 